Today we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God. And around the theme, down by the riverside, of course, and that verse going to shake hands around the world. You know, what a beautiful image of the kingdom of God, of sisters and brothers uh, called by Christ together to be the church, going to shake hands around the world. And what a testimony, what a witness it is when we do so. When we find ourselves not only loving one another in the church, but shaking hands all around the world. This particular verse was not part of the original um, down by the riverside, but a verse that's been added along with some others, but particularly Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts uh, sing this song, and it's in their uh, songbooks related to their camping together. Going to shake hands around the world. Now, I want to ask a question this morning. How is this message of shaking hands around the world corresponding to our understanding of the kingdom of God and what Jesus taught us about his kingdom? The sermon series that we've been in now for several weeks, and we have one more to go next Sunday, um, is a sermon series that is meant to talk in terms of us being citizens of the kingdom of God first. The very first week we talked about patriotism uh, related to what it means to be a Christian and a patriot. And then we talked about um, not just social justice, but what does it mean to be about God's justice? And not just civil liberties, but what does it mean to be about God's liberties and freedom? And today, we're going to be talking about what it means to truly be citizens of the kingdom of God and conscious of those around us. You know, it's interesting that in Luke's gospel, he talks about uh, the kingdom of God as a feast. In Matthew's gospel, he talks about the kingdom of God being like a wedding reception. So um, the gospel agrees in Jesus' teaching that the kingdom of God is a party. And just what does that mean? What are the qualities of the kingdom that make us think of it as a party? Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a party, a feast. And what are those qualities of the kingdom of God? You know, note the first quality of the kingdom of God is that it is not an exclusive party. I hope we hear that loudly and clearly from the scriptures that uh, Donna read for us this morning. It's not an exclusive party. In the parable, the master, um, in Jesus' telling, uh, tells the servants to go out in two stages. And the message translation that Donna read this morning says that the servants were told to invite some people who never get invited out, the misfits from the wrong side of the tracks. You'll be and you'll experience a blessing. They won't be able to return the favor. And another translation says, um, that very same verse says it this way, Go quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring the poor and the maimed and the blind and the lame. The servants did just that in the story and they returned to the master and they say, There's still room, Lord. And the master said to the servants, quickly, get out into the city streets and alleys, collect 
all who look like they need a square meal. All the misfits, the homeless, the wretched, you can lay your hands on and bring them here. The servant reported back, Master, I did what you commanded and there's still room. The master said, then go to the country roads. Don't just stay in the city. And whoever you find, drag them in. I want my house full. What a beautiful image of the kingdom of God that the master wants the house full, wants everybody at the party. And and wants the servants, that's you and that's me, to be about the inviting. So you see, this is not an exclusive party that Jesus calls us to. The invitation of the master is to be part of a kingdom that is inclusive and broad in its invitation. Now friends, there's a foundational theological issue that we must address related to the kingdom of God. And the big issue is whether God's invitation, whether God's grace is limited. Or is it universal? Is the invitation uh, narrow and restricted or is it broadly offered? You know, this is one of the primary reasons that I'm a, a Methodist today. I mean, I grew up a Methodist, but at some point in time I had a choice, didn't I? And what I love about our denomination is that, that we underscore the universal grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ offered to all. Now some of our Calvinist uh, friends and Bible church sisters and brothers who follow a more strict Calvinist view or thought understand that God's grace is limited to those who are chosen. There's an element of election. Uh, There's a predestination. There are some who uh, were born to be the chosen and some who were born to be the damned. And we don't ascribe to that. We who are Methodist or Wesleyans, we have a tradition of universal grace, and it's not limited to the chosen. God's grace is offered to all people. You know, I love Holy Communion in our tradition. Next Sunday, you mark it, we're going to have communion in our garden. This will be the third straight month that we've had socially distanced communion. But at this table, we'll say this is not a Methodist table. This is not a lover's lane table. This is the Lord's table. And to this table, to this party, all are invited and all are welcome. Now, let me get one thing straight. This doesn't mean that all persons who receive the invitation respond and and experience their salvation. The parable is very clear about that. Some who were offered the invitation didn't come, didn't respond, had excuses. But nevertheless, all are invited. Now, we realize that salvation is something we respond to by faith, right? Otherwise, this gift of salvation that's all beautifully wrapped and has our name on it, if we don't open it and experience, then it's a gift that is not really and truly received. And our work as the servants in the kingdom is never over until all persons know the gift and receive it 
We have our work cut out for us, don't we? But it's glorious work. It's kingdom work. Now let's be perfectly clear about the good news of God's kingdom. It's like a party centered on God's love. And I want to underscore this with some key scriptures that we have in our Bible. But if I read all of the scripture pertaining to this particular point, uh, we would take up the whole sermon time. I do want to highlight that God's grace, God's kingdom grace is universal. It's offered to all. In, in John 3, 14 and 15, we have these words. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then, of course, John three sixteen, the very next verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then John 4, just the very next chapter. Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give you will never thirst The water that I shall give him shall become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. We have that scripture text, the words of Jesus to the woman at the well in our shepherd's garden. A beautiful statement of whoever drinks this water. And then finally, I want to read a a verse out of Romans, the 10th chapter. The 11th through the 13th verses. No one who believes in him will be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. The same Lord is the Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And we could go on and on. You know, another important lesson of the kingdom, besides it it being um, inclusive and besides uh, it, it being far from an exclusive party, we have this. The church is not a show place for saints. Rather, it's the home for the hurting I love that definition. Who are the hurting? We, all of us, are the hurting from time to time, aren't we? And we live in a world that is prone to hurt and and sometimes to hurt one another. The master instructed the servant to go out into the streets, into the alleys and the lanes and out into the way places of the city and invite the people to come to my home, to my party. The servants then went out and one by one they came, the crippled and the maimed, the poor and those who were deemed insignificant, 
the people who didn't count for much in that day uh, with some people, the people who didn't matter much in some places. And they came, the common, the ordinary, the weak and the sick. The servants were busy trying to fill the house because that's the way the master wanted it. Full, full of hurting people. A place where we love one another into healing. And that healing comes from the very spirit and love of God. God is the host of the feast. We are the servants. And we are the ones called to do the inviting, the encouraging of others, all others, to come to God's kingdom party. With the Lord of hosts, and we as the servants, then what is the nature of the party? What is the spirit of the feast? The kingdom of God. Let let us hear this clearly this morning with these sunflowers over my shoulder. The, The kingdom of God is a joyful party. Jesus compared the kingdom of God to a feast in Luke, to a wedding reception in Matthew. Jesus wanted us to know that that, that God's kingdom is a party where all are welcome to experience His grace and His love and the joy of the community, the fellowship at the party. You know, we Christians should be the most joyful folk on the face of the earth, shouldn't we? After all, Our past failures have been forgiven. Our eternal future is guaranteed. The God of the universe loves us. God's son, Jesus, he he died so that we could have our salvation and no forgiveness. Over and over again, we're the sons and daughters of the Most High. In God's kingdom, we're the princesses and the princes, aren't we? Life cannot deliver any heartache, any tragedy that the grace of God will not be able to see us through. God knows in this community of the hurting that it's the the joy of the Spirit that oftentimes brings us to that place of healing. And there's no tragedy, no circumstance that we can experience that we don't experience it with the master of the party. But we don't always look like people of joy, do we? The great British preacher of another generation, Charles Spurgeon, who still gets quoted a lot today, he once said, when you talk about heaven, Christians, let your face light up with a heavenly glory. When you talk about hell, your everyday face will probably do. (laughs) Well, the truth kind of hurts sometimes, doesn't it? I I like what the writer Bill Henderson recalls meeting a a man aboard a a cruise ship who claimed to be an expert in in uh, in telling what professions people were were in to to guess what professions uh, they were in. And and so he said to uh, Bill Henderson, "You see that man over there?" He said, "Yes." He said, "He's a physician." So Bill Henderson said he went over and. He started chit-chatting with the man on the cruise ship, and, and uh, the issue of profession came up, and sure enough, the man said, I'm, 
I'm a physician. So Bill asked uh, the, the guesser, he said, how did you know that man was a physician? He said, well, I saw the caring lines in his uh, forehead, and I could tell that he was a person of compassion. And the more I looked at him, the more I knew that he was a doctor, a physician. And then he pointed to another man. He said, you see that man over there? He's a lawyer. Oh, so Bill went over and he started a conversation with the man. And sure enough, it came up and he said he was an attorney. And Bill returned to the man. He said, well, how did you know that? And he said, well, I I just, I looked at him and I saw that he had kind of a scholarly look about him and and he appeared to be somebody who was very professional and, and, um, and somewhat formal. And so I just, I just knew he was an attorney. Then Bill pointed to another man. He said, what about that man over there? And he said, well, he's a preacher. So Bill went to the man and he, he started talking to him. He said, by the way, are you a preacher? And the man said, no. I'm just seasick. That's the reason I look so sad. <laughs> now, how strange it is uh, when we Christians are long-faced, especially we preachers. But we can become that way too, can't we? We need to remind ourselves that we who are people who have been given so much should live out of the joy of being the recipients of God's good gifts of grace and love the gift of his kingdom, that is a party. Jesus could have been, um, he couldn't have been a, a sad person, could he? Or, or the children wouldn't have been attracted to him the way he was. Jesus was full of joy. And I think any other portrayal of him misses the mark. That's why people were attracted to him. He had something. Nicodemus knew it. He had something that Nicodemus knew he needed. It, it, it was something coming from deep within. A place of, of, of resonance with a relationship with, with his God as his father, as his papa. He was full of joy. We in the church of God's kingdom, we should be rippling with joy. We should be constantly adding to our number um, those who, who, who we can tell um, about God's love and God's grace and God's forgiveness and the community of joy. We should be talking to teenagers who may have a very low self-esteem and, um, and be teaching them that they are unique creations of God and they are indescribably precious to God and to us. They have a place to belong right here. And, and the, the parents of special needs children, they need to hear the church say with, with a heart full of joy, we love your kids and they are just plain special to us. It's not their needs that we see, it's their uniqueness and the beauty of them as creations, sisters and brothers together in God's kingdom. Divorce people who are often burdened with, with guilt and sometimes financial problems, they should find su- a supportive family within the church that's living into God's kingdom. A place where we can say, you can start over anew right here in the midst of 
a supportive community. And those dealing with addictions and alcoholism, uh, we have welcomed them for years here. Hundreds come weekly here because they know that we will uplift the, um, uh, the principles of, of AA and the higher power that calls us to community that is a redemptive fellowship. Our joy should find expression in our warmth toward others. The church should be a hugging place. I believe that. And I miss those hugs. It should be a place where our handshakes and our, our hugs and our, our, our words of, are uplifting and full of joy. The church should be throwing the best party on earth. You know, in this parable that Jesus told, there were guests invited to the party, but they wouldn't come. They had excuses. So the king sent out the servants, or the master sent out the servants, out into the streets, and they invited people to come to the, to the party. You know what I believe about this parable that Jesus was telling? I believe he was underscoring that God hates exclusivism. It makes God angry when we reject an invitation to God's party. And, and if we dare exclude anyone from it, it's God's invitation. It's the master's invitation that we're passing on. It's not our party. We're the servants who've been invited and we participate. And we participate mainly by inviting others to it. I glory in the wideness of God's invitation. Whosoever, he said, and everyone, he said, come to the party. And we shouldn't be dubbed a social club, a Christian social club. We, we, should, we shouldn't be about being the most segregated hour in America. We should make sure that the church that we are involved in is a church for all. Friends, in this political year, we should aspire to be a glorious conglomeration of Republicans and Democrats and independents, of conservatives and moderates and liberals. We must be people who hear one another out respectfully and when necessary disagree, but without being disagreeable. And what a testimony that's going to be about this joyful kingdom that the church lives into. When we can model to a world out there so divided that it doesn't have to be. For the Spirit of God is a spirit of unity. You know, some years ago a man came to me talking about joining the church. And he said, you know, there's one subject that I feel very strongly about. And I must be sure that this church agrees with where I am or I can't join it. And the subject is abortion. And after listening to him for a minute, I said, Sir, if you're looking for a church where everyone shares the same view on abortion, this is not the church for you. Our people are people of diverse views. But, but if you're looking for a church in which people will hear your views respectfully, whether they agree with you or not, this may be the church for you. And, and furthermore, uh, there could be many other topics um, and, and, and socially um, conflicted um, 
matters that we could address. LBGTQ rights, racial equality, immigration, prison reform. And, and, and we don't all have the same view. But we can come together and we can discuss like we're going to do tonight in a panel. We can come together and discuss because we know that there is a level of respect that God calls us to in His kingdom. And it's a level of respect that is a model of unity to a world in need of it. A few years ago, a wonderful creative Christian sociologist, Tony Campolo, uh, traveled to Honolulu, Hawaii for a, a speaking engagement. And I understand Tony is not in good health right now. And we want to pray for him because he has written wonderful books and has preached wonderful sermons and spoken in so many different ways about the kingdom being a party. Well, as the story goes, he flew all the way from Pennsylvania, where he lives, to Hawaii. And he had an awful case of jet lag. Therefore, at 3 a.m. in the morning, he was wide awake, so he left the hotel and he found a little all-night diner uh, near the hotel. He, he sat there sipping coffee and glancing at the newspaper. And then the door of the diner swung open, and in marched eight or nine provocative and boisterous prostitutes. Their talk was loud, and it was crude. Tony said he was just about ready to make his getaway when he heard one of the women say, who was actually at the counter right next to him, tomorrow's my birthday, and I'm going to be 39, she said. One of her friends responded in a sarcastic tone. So what do you want from me, a birthday party? She said, no, I don't want a birthday party. I've never had a birthday party in my entire life. So it's too late to start now. Suddenly, Tony Campolo, he had an idea. And as soon as the women had left, he, he stuck around so he could talk to the owner there, whose name was Harry, the owner of the diner. And he said, do, do you know those women? Do, do they come here every night? And the owner said, yes. Uh, about the same time? He said, yeah, about the same time, about 3 to 3.30 Every night. He, he said, you know, I have an idea. I said, the, the one who was sitting closest to me, she, she said it's her birthday tomorrow. And, and, and I'll pay the bill if we can have a little birthday party for her right here in the, in the diner. A smile spread across Harry's face. He, he said, you know, that's a good idea. Her, her name is Agnes. So he called his wife out of the kitchen and he, he, he said, uh, uh, this, this man wants to throw a birthday party for Agnes tomorrow. And they talked about it and they said, well, we can provide a cake. So the next morning, about 3 a.m. in the morning, Tony Campolo had already decorated the diner with crepe paper and he made a big sign reading, happy birthday, Agnes. The word had gotten around somehow because at, at 3 a.m. every prostitute in Honolulu had crammed into that diner. It was wall-to-wall -wall prostitutes and, and Tony and Harry and his wife. About 3.30 on the dot, Agnes walked in and 
was confronted with the cake and the burning candles. And, and, and people started singing loudly, Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday, dear Agnes, dear Agnes, happy birthday to you. She was flabbergasted, stunned, shaken. She couldn't say a word. Her eyes were wet. She blew out her candles and looked around and then just openly started to cry. Tears of joy. And after the party was over, Tony asked the group if he could say a prayer. And he prayed for Agnes and everyone else who was there. And then after everyone was gone, he thanked Harry for going along with the party. And, and, and Harry said, hey, you didn't tell me you were a preacher. What church do you belong to? Tony said in one of those rare moments, just the right words came to his lips. And he said, I belong to the church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 a.m. in the morning. I'd like to think we're a church like that. I'd like to think that we're a church like the one Jesus described, the church of the masters, the kingdom of God church, that we're servants in that kingdom, and that we are committed to being invitational, inclusive. I hope that all of God's children not only know that they are welcome here, but we make sure that they know we are inviting them to experience God's grace, God's love, and God's joy that we experience together in God's church, in the kingdom of God that we're working, will come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.